the galaxy is burning. Brother fights brother, and treason splits the Imperium of Man. This is the Horus Heresy. Whether you're a warrior of the Legionis Astartes, an adherent of the Mechanicum, or a brave mortal in a galaxy of madness, you'll find a home here. Welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat, coming to you from within the depths of the Vengeful Spirit. Hello and welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat. I'm Jesse, and we've got a big old crew today. We have Austin, Dave from Black Label Painting, Mr. Dave, regular Dave, <laughs> uh, Robbie, Ryan, and Will. How's everybody doing today? Pretty good. Doing good, man. All right, all right, all right. Wow. So get us all started off. Uh, what, have we not, what have we been up to today? We'll start at the top of Austin. Alphabetical order. Um, yeah, I gotta admit, I haven't been doing too much heresy. I've uh, been painting some very, very tiny Tyranids. Uh, and then actually today, just talked my fiance into giving Battlefleet Gothic a go, and she liked it, so Ooh. now I have another Battlefleet Gothic uh, fleet to paint. Awesome. <laughs> well, that's cool. Do you think she's gonna try to get her hand in a painting, too, or...? Um... She's kind of self-conscious about it, I think, because uh, she doesn't, you know, obviously doesn't do any painting. Um, she's more of like an RPG board gotcha. game kind of girl. Gotcha. Um, so I'll probably wind up painting it for her, which is cool. Yeah, that's fine. That's kind of like a nice little gift. Mm-hmm. It's another reason to paint trader without calling yourself a trader. Right? <laughs> like, it's a perfect excuse. I've had a second fleet for ages just kind of sitting around. Because I didn't know what trader fleet I wanted to paint him as. So she picked, and now I get to paint Death Guard. Nice. Very cool. How's that going to – is that going to be like a uh, dirty white? Like I've never actually seen a uh, Death Guard fleet before. I haven't quite decided. Uh, it's going to be kind of – it's going to be heresy era, obviously. Right. Um, so, yeah, maybe kind of a, an off-white um, – I've got this paint from God knows where called Spaceship Gray. <laughs> so that'll probably be the basis for the white. Uh, and then a little bit of dry brushing because that's all BFG needs. Sure. Throw some greens on there, some gun metals. Uh, call it a day. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, with that, how about a black label painting? Dave, what have you been up to this week? Well, working on a Atropos, a Castigator, and just wrapped up a bunch of Death Guard. <laughs> Very cool. How, how, was the, uh, how was it to paint those Death Guard? Uh, Death, Guard is, Death Guard has been like increasingly my favorite thing to paint. I, I figured out a technique how to just blow through them, and I just freaking love painting them. Nice. Do you do like weathering or chipping? Do you do what kind of... Oh, like, yeah. Vibrate? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I will, I'll, I'll do like a, a brown base over a black and then I'll throw the chipping fluid on it and then just go to town with the highlights with the white. And then I use a lot of AK interactive mm-hmm. and, uh, I hear a lot of good stuff about streak, that. A lot of rust streaks, just oils in general. Very cool. I get to use uh, chipping powder and I'm kind of scared to use it, but I need to give it a shot. Oh man. Don't be scared of it. It's awesome stuff. I've, I buy it by the gross because I use so much of it. <laughs> I love the, uh, I'll use the AK or the MIG brand. They're both really good. Uh Uh-huh. Gotcha. Very cool. So the Atropos, what, um, what Legio is going on to that? 
or Nighthouse, I should say. That one is actually going Nighthouse Veroni. Uh, so it's the green and the, the chipping and all that jazz. Very and cool. The other one, it's just it's not really tied to a Nighthouse. It's I guess it's more or less like a free blade. Nice. Uh, that right now it's just blue and gold, so it looks very zinch. <laughs> gotcha. Is that like a dark royal blue or like a light blue or? Oh no, it's 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 it goes from royal blue and it fades up to like a almost almost to a sky blue, but not quite there. Cool. Do you have any pictures up on your Facebook yet? Oh, not yet. I haven't I haven't put any whips or anything like that yet up of them yet. Cool. We'll definitely be looking forward to those. They're close. They should be in the next day or so. All right. Got anything else on the table? Or terrain. Lots of terrain. Getting <laughs> <laughs> ready for our event. Uh, yeah, on the 18th, we have a local event that I've, me and one of the guys put on, so I've been frantically doing terrain. Oh, yeah. Is it all scratch-built, MDF? No, it's, I use. I like to do – I love – the battle mats are nice. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I love those mats, but I am a sucker for 3D terrain. So I have got lots of giant tiles everywhere, Forge World tiles out the wazoo. It's, I don't know. I was Very insane. cool. That was insane to, to think I could tackle it all, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's cruising right along. Nice. Very cool. All right, for myself um, – Still in the process of moving, but I had managed to prime up some Zone Mortalis tiles that are made from MDF. They're the Maze of the Dead Kickstarter that happened like two years ago. Finally gotten around to uh, actually starting painting it. So looking forward to finishing it up. And then we'll have two 4x4 ZM tables from Maze of the Dead for Richmond 30K. Yeah, we definitely need to uh, steal, I think, Maryland 30K's like ZM night. Maybe do like a once a month sort of ZM night thing, man. I think that'd be cool. That would be a lot of fun. But yeah, looking forward to it. It's all magnetized. All the walls just kind of snap together. So yeah, looking forward to getting this to completion. Other than that, I haven't been doing too much. Just setting up the hobby table, setting up the hobby space. Got my computer set up, which was the important part, because here I am today. But uh. But yeah. yeah, man, I, I saw the setup, remember, and I was like, holy hell, is Jesse getting into, like, Twitch streaming full-time now or something? <laughs> now you get an overhead mic oh, boom, and then podcast. suddenly it looks so professional. Know, right? Yeah. <laughs> you have, like, the dual monitors now. You have the overhead mic boom. Like, man, yeah. you're... It's a setup I dreamed for decades. <laughs> By decades, I mean a decade and a half. Is that the T-Pain synchronizer so you can start rapping? <laughs> Check out my SoundCloud. I don't yeah, have a sound drop a link in my SoundCloud. That's and, right. uh, my mixtape. <laughs> the next Harry Potter. Oh be, god! Yep. Birthday's retreat. It's going to be a Horace Heresy themed rap album. <laughs> crazy it's Horace, crazy, crazy out. Horace, and the uh, and the Eightfold Path. Was that an eight mile jump? <laughs> I, I don't know. Robbie, what have you been up to? Ah oh, man, not a whole lot. Uh, chugging away on salamanders, um, having a lot of fun with those. I found a real easy, uh, rewarding scheme where I've only yeah. got one. I pretty much just based them in Caliban green, and then I do a zenith and panel highlighting with uh, law green or war boss. They really look fantastic. War boss. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm having a lot of fun, and it was supposed to be like a speed painting thing at first, just so I can have like a because I miss playing with legions. I've been playing with Solar Auxilia for so long, and 
Mm-hmm. I was like, let me let me get some fucking power armor on this. T-. <laughs> and then I just fell in love with the green. And then I started following a whole bunch more of the salamander fluff. And I was like, man, these are some good guys. And I ain't played a good guy in a while. So <laughs> having a whole lot of fun with that. I've been working on my BF, BFG, BFH fleet. Um, trying to get some more lances in here to start shooting down some of these space marine guys coming in. Um, and yeah, that playing games whenever I can, uh, got a whole bunch of X-Wing stuff. I want to start playing, but that's, that's a different podcast. I meant to say that I'm on tomorrow. Sorry guys. Ooh. Oh, I was going to say, get a Richmond X-Wing podcast. Yeah, this, this just became an X-Wing podcast. Guys. This is a thing guys. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So let's talk about the meta, about the new millennium Falcon. Yeah. Hey man. Yeah. I, it's, Oh dude, I saw this, the solo, uh, trailer today. And I was like, yeah. the first few of them. They just did not hit me well. I don't know. But every time I, they like, it gets me a little better. It's like, okay, I'm going to watch it now. I feel the same way. Like, I've been back and forth every time they put out a new uh, new uh, trailer. I'm like, eh. Then I'm like, yeah. Then I'm like, eh. And this one's like, okay, it's summertime. I just finished watching Adventure. Like, this is going to be a fun movie. We'll see how it goes. It, I don't expect it to blow my mind like Rogue One did, but uh, I still think it's going to be an enjoyable movie to watch. Oh yeah, absolutely. But other than that, man, that's that's really been all I've all I've been up to, uh, just getting stuff painted in time for the the event on the nineteenth, and yeah, enjoying it. Fantastic, Ryan. What have you been up to? Hey y'all. Um, so I've been fairly busy. Um, I've been doing my Wardbearer Strike Team for Nova, uh, which is I'm chugging through that. I've got. Nine of the models done. I got three more to do. Um, those were turning out pretty good. I ordered a bunch of stuff and got a bunch of stuff in the mail. So I got uh, some bits from Conversion World and some of the Shapeways uh, white scar bits, the uh, power glaives, and the um, the curved swords, which are really badass. Sweet. Which has me wanting to now create more mo- more units than I actually need, just so I can use the bits. Um, <laughs> and then I got in a big shipment of stuff for the Toys for Tots uh, charity. So I got in the Betrayal of Kel for that. I got in uh, the Sons of Horus Legion Command Squad, which will become Malagurst. Um, I got the decals, uh, some legs from uh, the Posable Contemptor legs from um, Blood and Skulls Industry. Nice. And then uh, I also got a big old chunk of terrain, which is the last bit of terrain that I'm going to need to do the mech tables for the Nova ZM. So that's going to – got to build and awesome. paint all that stuff here in the next couple weeks, and then I'll start focusing on the two custom-made tables, doing the, um, the underground cave system, and then doing, like, an underground, uh, like, farm agriculture system as well. So, did you say you were going to do one like um, Ryan Kimmel's got, where he he has like a Zone Mortalis inside of a big ass Mega Bash? I eventually want to do that. I don't have the resources to do that now, and it's yeah, not going to be. I saw yet. that, and I was just like, why doesn't more people do that? It was like because yeah, it shows right in the rules. It was a four yeah. by four table on an like another eight by ten or whatever he had. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah, he built that a year or so ago. I remember when he talked about it on RFI, and I remember seeing the work in progress picks. I mean, that thing is like uh, two or four, like Forge World ZM tiles, and then he used 
you know, a half dozen or more bastion kits to create all the walls and stuff. Looks really badass. I, I love that you can take the top off and play a little ZM game in the middle of an Age of Darkness game. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> mine will not be like that right now. Uh, maybe in the future, one day I can do something like that. But very cool. Yeah, that's it for me. Awesome. So, Will, what have you been up to this week? Uh, let's see. I uh, built and primed some uh, Terminators and a command squad for Iron Hands. Uh, currently, actually, while we speak, I'm working on uh, Castlax. I got five of them on the uh, uh, build table right now. Nice. And uh, yeah, actually, today I went and uh, bought some undead models for Age of Sigmar. So we'll be getting into that. Really? So yeah. some AOS, huh? Yeah, giving it a shot, man. I've always loved the skeleton models, and I just figure yeah, I wanted something to break up the power armor. Yeah. So I'd give the, them, uh, yeah. the skeletons from the, Shade uh, from the Shadespire box are really nice. Yeah. Very nice yeah. models. But I just picked up the uh, the start collecting. So it was nothing, yeah. nothing big, you know. It's not like I bought like a five thousand point army, and I'm like, right. all in, man. This is yeah. all done with horse heresy, one hundred percent. Now I really like those start collecting boxes because it's like just big enough of chunk to get your teeth wet, but you know, not overly expensive to where you feel like really bad and like, oh my god, I invested so much and I don't like them. Yeah, exactly. Like it. If I end up not liking the game or something, I'll still have some cool little skeleton models to throw up on the shelf. That's right. Uh, Maybe some weird undead. When I told him that, he's like, oh, man, looks like you're starting a cult militia army. I was like, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That'd, That'd be pretty sick. Yeah, just, uh, I mean, I get they are on round bases. I don't know. What's the other uh, provenance that allows you to, it's a cult horde and tainted flesh? Yeah, those are the two. Yeah, well, technically these guys don't have flesh, so I don't know how you'd run that provenance. This green stuff, some scrap. I just want to say that if you can do, I don't know if any of you remember, it was a white dwarf from God like 10 years ago where a guy had the old GW skeletons just beautifully converted into Imperial Guard. Like, everybody had a LAS gun. It was at some, like, games day somewhere. It was awesome. Ah, it was amazing. So, Will... When you decide Age of Sigmar isn't for you, that's your that's your plan. Gotcha. Now throw some Imperial Guard helmets yeah. on, good to go. Yeah, I guess right. Just random helmets. Throw some Doughboy uh, helmets on there from like Warlord Games or something. But I mean, no, you can give like your conscripts just close combat weapons and take away range weapons. I get and and then use the horses like the Black Knight dudes as augurans. I don't know. I'm sure you could have fun with it some way, but. So I know in 40k there are like zombie planets, right? Uh, uh, the plague of unbelief. Yeah. So is that a thing in Horse Heresy? Would they've ever mentioned that? I guess in Davin, those were corpses that were reanimated. Um, so maybe. Yeah, uh, the moon. That's that probably was what in 40k is the the curse of unbelief. Although I'm sure they called it something else. But yeah, it's the standard Nurgle like. Kills you dead and then brings your rotting corpse back up. So it wouldn't be out of the ordinary for 30k. Gotcha. All right. Well, there you go. That's what I've been up to. And uh, right now I'm like at this weird predicament: is like, do I do I give the castleized bolters or flamers? I don't know. Be a be a savage and magnetize everything. Oh god damn it! 
You said it's a five-man squad. I would go one or two with Flamers and the rest with Bolters. I have three with Siege Wreckers. I want to do like a... I don't want to have all the Siege... I think that's overkill. So yeah, maybe you're right. Do a couple with Flamers just to prevent like Wall of Death... Or just to use that Wall of Death rule. Yeah, I've got I've got four Castle Axe built uh, when I bought the lot. Uh, two of them were pre-built. And they're the Power Blade and... Um, multi-melter ones so i'm like i would never have like bought these and built them like this but i'm like but this is this is fate i'm gonna have to run multi-melter power blades with flamers on them to go along with some smaller bolter cannons there you go dave what have you been up to hey guys uh first of all i just want to say um Sorry about the audio quality on Heresy Grad School. Um, if you listen to the little mini episode we we released earlier this week, um, we were uh, <clears throat> we were fighting the the scrap code uh, that uh, had been released into the uh, into the the bowels of our audio um, that hexadecimal bullshit <laughs> archives. War but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, you know, I've just been uh, I've been deep in the lore, hanging out with uh, with Jason, who cannot be here today because um, I mean, like he got married or something. And, something like that. That's yeah. the word. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations to the happy couple. Absolutely, man. Uh, Jason is is the man, and uh, absolutely, congrats to he and his beautiful wife Megan. Um, definitely wish you the best, and really glad you're not on the podcast tonight. Uh, <laughs> we wouldn't have let him on. We would have just muted yeah, him, absolutely. shut him from the server. Yeah, yeah. But we will be back uh, maybe next week, maybe uh, hopefully soon. Um, but we'll we'll wrap that up with a a little better auto audio quality. Um, but yeah, man, I haven't really been up to too much in in terms of heresy. Uh, I've been listening to Vengeful Spirit, which I somehow missed. Uh, you know, in in the in the background lore, um, so I've been going over and, and re-listening to Vengeful Spirit, which is like is that the one with the Battle of Moloch? Yeah, dude. Okay, that's the one where uh, Horus and a bunch of his, bunch of the other Primarchs go and say, "What happened? What the hell happened here?" We can't, yeah, can't remember what happened. You first meet uh, Medusin, right? The Primarchs first Ruthie. It's that's a really good way to describe it. Yeah, man, that's where the emperor roofied the Primarchs, man. Yeah, yeah, he took him down into a dark uh, cave and roofied him. Yeah, like every other fraternity party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's really it's such a good listen, and uh, if if you guys have a chance, if you haven't done it, you totally should because it's so. Um, it's so critical to to the backstory and the lore. Uh, you really kind of find out uh, the emperor's bargain uh, with with chaos. And, I'm, I'm gonna uh, have to listen to that again because yeah. honestly, I remember the part where they like. Do you remember what happened? Uh, I don't know. And honestly, I can't remember what the hell happened in that book right now either. So I'm gonna have to re-listen maybe to you it. Were no, maybe uh, it was crazy. Spirit is like it's a great book. Because uh, it it's not it has like aspects of why Horus is able to do some of the crazier things later on. Like how is he able to challenge the emperors? Because he figured out how the emperor was able to even be the emperor. And it's great story to follow because you also like at the same time have the knights errant. 
So those are like, you know, yeah. representing yeah. all the other factions. That's that's not really in the book. Uh, that's not main story. But so everybody's got a piece of somewhere they can follow. Like my one of my favorite characters is uh, God, I forgot his name, but he's a Iron Warrior Knight Errant, and he's like Asperger Space Marine all the way. Like he gets no joke, <laughs> but he's so smart, and it's like. Oh yeah, I'll, un- I'll unlock this lock, but I don't understand sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally know who you're talking about, Robbie. I can't remember his name, but he's great. Like the whole time, he's like, I think he tells at one point he's like, Loken is unfit to lead the mission, right? He's like, No, dude, this guy is like compromised. Oh right, this is the one where Loken goes like to different places, meets up with Yakton Cruz on the top of a mountain or yes. something. That's yeah. okay. It's coming yeah. slowly, coming back to me now. Yeah. No, it's it's really good, and and uh, man, there's just so much, um, yeah, there's so much lore and backstory in it. So uh, definitely go back and listen to it. But yeah, unfortunately, I haven't been rolling a lot of dice, at least not heresy dice, man. So I hope to uh, I hope to correct that failing soon. Ah, feels like it's just been a crazy, crazy week or two for everybody yeah. right now. Everybody gearing up, getting ready for summertime since spring just came and went. So I hope you like that 70-degree weather because here's yeah, now. Here's, here's, days we got. <laughs> here's the 90 degrees and 75% humidity. Enjoy. Welcome to Virginia summer. Oh, yeah. It was like snowing in like when it was supposed to be spring. And <laughs> like it stopped snowing, it rained for a day, then it was summer. I was like, what happened? Make your mind, Virginia. Damn it. Very cool. All right. So I guess that's uh, everybody, what we've been up to. I guess we'll take a quick break, and then we'll come on to the next subject, which right now I have no notes in front of me, so we'll figure it out, and you guys will listen and enjoy. (laughs) We'll be right back. They will enjoy. (laughs) We'll like it. We're back, guys. Hey, Will, you ever wanted to paint like a pro? Uh, no, I actually hate painting. Uh, Me too. I'm done with it. Um, but there's got to be an easier way to paint like a pro right. than just Something, throwing in the towel, exactly. right? Exactly. Like, I don't even know how to hold a brush, to be honest. I don't. Like, I use, well, I just use spray have. cans the entire time. Oh, you just rattle. Rattle can. And yeah. That's how you got your crystal brush. That's was right. Like with just a rattle can. Okay. Exactly. That's impressive, Jesse. I no, never right. I, I do not own uh, a crystal brush because I paint with spray pans. So. I throw my models in the, the dryer with a bunch of different colored highlighters and put it on tumble, and then that's how my armies get painted. That's that's a true dry brush right there. A yeah. dryer brush. I'll show um, myself out. Anyway. But yeah, it's a good thing that you do want to learn how to improve yourself because we got a new segment called Painting Like a Pro with David and Will. Uh, we're going to be going over with David from Black Label Painting, um, and we're going to go over some techniques or some uh, fun bits, I guess, that or, or little tricks that we know. Now, I want to make it clear, Dave is a pro. I am not. Um, I don't do it professionally, and I've never won any sort of painting competition, not even a local games workshop one. Um, I just like doing it, and I'm really good at doing a single scheme, pretty much. So from this, I'm hoping to learn some uh, stuff from Dave myself. So with that said, 
This is episode one, or I guess section one of it, and we're going to be going over the basics. The scenario is, for this episode, that you just got into the Horus Heresy. You bought a Betrayal of Kalf and a Sikorin battle tank. So what are we going to need to do that? And we're going to be going over the toolbox required to build a Betrayal of Kalf and a Sikorin battle tank. So, David, you want to take it away, then? Um, what are some tools sure, if you want for somebody who's just getting into the hobby like this? If you're just getting into the hobby and you just picked up a Trail of Health box set, some of the tools I recommend you also pick up while you're at the counter is some Citadel clippers or some good clippers for that matter. I always default to the Citadel clippers because I found throughout the years that they are actually, to me, they're worth the money. So... The Citadel Clippers is what you'll need, and also the Citadel Mold Line Remover, because mold lines are evil, and you must destroy them. Uh, I actually did put the money in for the Mold Line Remover, and it's been one of the most reliable and used tools I actually have. It's sure, I, I love that little tool. I don't know what it is, but it's, like, super handy. It is. It's get everywhere. Wait, what? What are y'all talking about? The, the Citadel uh, Mold Line Remover, that metal stick that they sell, which has like a rough edge on one side. It's kind of... It, it is worth it's every weird. single penny. It's, it is. Oh my gosh. I did not know about that. Uh, before, oh, you, yeah, I, used to use, I used to use like X-Actos and, you know, just scrape down the sides. But if you don't watch it, you get like your hand off a little bit, you're going to dig into the model. Well, And your finger. Mold, yeah, and your finger or your, your tendons in your arm whenever you slip and stab yourself. Um, you're, the mold line remover does the exact same thing, but it eliminates. It, okay, I'm not going to say it eliminates. It makes it very hard to mess up. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. You just scrape it down the mold line, and it peels it right off. I mean, it's perfect. So it's good for kids too. If you have younger kids that uh, want to get into it, because it doesn't have a sharp edge, but it still does the same trick. Correct. So a clipper, good pair of Citadel clippers, a good Citadel mold line remover. And you're also going to need some plastic cement, you know, plastic glue. Uh, any of any testers or the Citadel brand, any of that stuff will work. I would stay away from the testers that comes in the bottle and has like the brush. I wouldn't use that. I haven't had very good luck with that. They, uh, they just the bonds doesn't hold very well. But any any of those any of the testers glue that's in like the tubes, blue is it's the blue tube is really nice because it doesn't stink really bad. Uh, but you're gonna need some some some, some cement. Uh, you're also gonna need some super glue, uh, and that'll be for the Forge World. You don't really need to use super glue your your uh, your plastics unless you're doing like upgrades, like the torsos and the and the heads and the, all the stuff that just gets continued. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get a chuckle out. Hey, of that. I've got a uh, question. Ask. Would you use the cement over the super glue? Only on plastic. I would use this just the uh, plastic, you know, like the the Citadel plastic glue for for instance. Is I just use that on plastic? I don't know. Yeah, I, I was, never I was talking about like the the tester cement. When would you use that over regular super glue on Forge World? Because I've always just oh. done super glue, and I've like well the um the plastic cement doesn't work with Forge World. I know. Like you pretty much have to use super glue. For resin, red. Well, you can use like the AB epoxy resin for 
resin stuff, but I wouldn't. That's more in depth. We'll just stick with super glue. <laughs> that's a little that's more. Right. Tech. But basics, for this basics. for this one, if you now there's two different brands of super glue. You can go with Bob Smith Industries, or you can go with Zip Glue. Uh, I'm sure there's a couple other other hobby ones out there that some of the hobby shops sell. But I always use Bob Smith Industries. So I also use the InstaSet with it alongside of uh, the, just the regular super glue. Uh, now Zip brand super glue, they have a, a a cure that's called Zip Kicker, and it's an aerosol, and it also it, it just it makes the drying time instantaneous almost. Um, you know, right. You're gluing a lot of these big Forge World kits together. They help, like they otherwise you're sitting there for hours on end. Um, can go into more depth of that, but we'll just keep it simple for right now. We'll, we'll do the pinning stuff later. Um, so you want good glue for your plastics. You want good glue for your resin. You want your good clippers. You want your good uh, mold line remover. You're going to want an X-Acto knife. Uh, a couple more things that you might want to get that I recommend whenever you start working on your Forge World. The number one thing that most people either forget about or they just don't know going into it when it comes to resin, you have to wash the resin because it's got mold on the mold line, uh, not the mold line, but the uh, the mold remover or the mold. The release agent. There you go. My mouth wasn't working. The release agent. You have to get the release agent off the model. Otherwise, when you go to prime over it, when you go to paint over it, you're going to touch it. It's going to slide all your work off of your finger. So another thing to make sure you have for your hobby toolbox is a really good degreasing agent uh, like soap. I prefer it's Dawn Ultra Platinum. That's what I use with all my Forge World. Um, when you get the kit, you take it out of the bag, get like a tub, buy your own tub, because if you start using the old lady's Tupperware, she's going to get pissed. So get like a nice little tub, pour all your Forge World resin in there, Pour some soap in there. Pour some w warm water in there. Let it soak. You can you can do it one of two ways. You can let it soak overnight, or you can scrub it. We'll just, for simple sake, we're just going to say you're going to put the Forge World in the bucket, put the soap in it, let it soak overnight, and then you're going to go back to start working on your calf stuff. That's where we're we're pretty much got our clippers, our mold line remover, and our super glue, and you go to town. Um, as far as tools, getting into it. That's about it. I mean, there, you might want to get some other things I will recommend getting into this would be Tamiya uh, sanding sponge. Uh, you'll need that for like Forge World to helping sand and remove mold lines as well. Um, you can, I have used my mold line remover on Forge World as well. It does just fine. But you got to know getting into it, you're, you're going to have to have some spots that are going to need repaired uh, with, 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 the resin. It's just the nature of the beast. Uh, sometimes it's unavoidable. So be prepared to do a little bit of work your resin for, through the Forge World. Uh, and that's where you'll need, the, you know, like the sanding sponges or uh, the mold line remover as well. And the super glue, of course, putting it all together. Pen vice yeah. is another uh, thing. I got, a, I got a couple things I'll add on to this. Um, for it. Here's, here's just some tools that I use. Um, Emery boards by what is it? Scout. I think that's the company that makes them, but they're specifically designed for hobby, and you can buy them in a three pack or actually a four pack, where it's coarse, medium, fine, and super fine. And those are great for 
uh, the Forge World stuff. I use them almost exclusively. They're really cheap. You can get them on Amazon. Um, clippers, like Dave said, mold line remover. Um, a hobby drill is also good. You're going to want to drill your bolters out and uh, or even pin in the future. We can get with that. We can start talking about that. But that's good to have in the beginning because there are some things you, you may need to drill. Like even on the plastic ones, you're probably going to want to drill bolters out. Get, you're going to um, want to get into the into the the you know drilling out your barrels because something that simple just makes it look so much better. And you exactly. don't even have to drill all the way into the barrel. You just drill in like at, you know five or six turns into the barrel with a pin vise uh, will suffice. It's just enough to give it shadow whenever you prime the model. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, glue goes, I use personally. I use Gorilla Glue gel. I like that stuff. It's pretty firm bond. Um, I've recently heard about nail polish glue being very good. I've never tried it. Um, and I use, as far as plastic glue is concerned, I use a Tamiya Extra Thin Cement. It's got a little brush. It's got its own little bottle. And it's just a simple application. Put it on, and that stuff works great uh, for plastics, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, if I can jump in for a second on the fingernail glue. Uh, yep. So real quick, what we're, what we're talking about is if you go to Target or CVS or wherever, go to where the fake the fake nails are, and there'll be you know various tiny pots of it. Um, it's kind of crazy. You don't need it for like a betrayal of out box or a secret or anything like that. Um, but for really tiny connections, like if you're like master of signals, his friggin' backpack aerial breaks off, or you have a really tiny, like, little metal connector. Um, that stuff is magic. Like, I use it for Epic Tyranids. Um, they're, me- they're metal models, and they have maybe one or two millimeters worth of connection point. Um, Super glue really wasn't getting it done for me, and that stuff, like, glue it in, and I've dropped them from, like, six feet on hardwood. It's been fine. Yeah, so if you're using fingernail glue, make sure you that's how you want it cuz it's not like super glue where you can pry it apart later. Yeah, no, that's that'll break not at the the line. Yeah. Be very um, sure. Also, another thing I use is a uh what is it called a bridle spike? Uh like you know, it's like a leather punch thing. Uh I use that to do uh pilot holes on resin before I actually start drilling them out or even plastic. So just a handy little tool comes to a nice fine point and uh, you can use it to make pilot holes. Those are nice. Also it doubles as a shiv. It does, yeah. If you have an (laughs) intruder or if somebody is cheating, like uh, rolling with cooked dice, you know, just give them an old one-two. Definitely do that. But yeah, um, I think as far as like the basics on the build, that's what I use. So I'm right there with Dave. That mold line remover, clipper, plastic glue, super glue, emery boards, and Dave, Dave, what do you think about a Dremel? Is that something you should look into at the start? Uh, the reason the start, I ask, yeah, at the start, I probably wouldn't go for Dremel. Just just getting into it, uh, you, you know you you want to you want to get your stuff looking nice as far as prepping it before work before you paint on it. And then main, your main focus would be just getting it painted so you can play it. It's, right, exactly. You don't want to play when you get it painted and painted. 
No. But I would highly recommend, if you don't get the Dremel, to get a hobby saw. The yes. reason being is because some Bone of these saw. kits you use, like the Sikorin, for example, is a good one, has huge gates on it. And you're not going to be able to get through that with a hobby knife. You're not going to be able to get through, through that with, I mean, I've done it with clippers, but it took too long when you yeah. could have taken a hobby saw to it and had it done in a couple minutes. Not to mention really uh, really a roll in the dice as far as accidentally breaking the actual mold. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Or let's take account into how many times I cut myself cutting through thick resin gates before I was like, it's not worth it anymore. i got to get a saw. And then once you get it, it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. I remember no when, when Steve got his. Don't be tempted to take those very nice, expensive Forge World or Citadel clippers and start clipping on those big gates. I've seen people yeah, do that. You will destroy these damn clippers in a matter of seconds. Yeah. Um, Keep in mind, those Citadel clippers are not meant for metal or thick chunks of resin. They're meant to cut oh. pieces off of plastic or... Uh, off of you know tiny pieces of resin or tiny pieces of plastic, you have to treat those tools with respect. Otherwise, you're going to end up wasting thirty five dollars. Exactly, a bone saw, like you guys are talking about, is is a very good investment. Most hobby shops, you can pick them up for twelve to fourteen dollars. I mean, they're worth every penny. Yeah. And then one now, other thing, some uh, one other thing I'll add tools. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Other thing that I'll add uh, as far as doing resin. You you know you might want to pick yourself up a pot of liquid green stuff as well. I don't know if you guys any of you guys use yeah. that. Uh, yeah, I think green stuff and liquid green stuff are both good to have in the beginning, right? Both of those you're gonna to want to familiarize yourself with using them. Uh, it's 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 gonna take you a little um, bit of time messing with them to get good with it, but long term it's worth it. It's worth the effort. Absolutely. Now uh, substitutes if you don't want to pay for the green stuff pricing, uh, I use mill putt. Uh, yellow. Mill putt's good. That works. It's a two-part epoxy resin like green stuff is. Um, and I also use Vallejo's plastic putty, which is the same thing as liquid green stuff, except it's white. So, But the, the plastic putty is, or not the plastic, yeah, plastic putty, liquid green stuff, is really great at filling in those tiny little air bubbles that you'll find on your sickerin. Now, I know we pay so much money for these kits, but I don't know if it's just the culture or if we, you know, if that's just the way it is, if you're supposed to accept it or not. I kind of like having to put in the effort to finish a model. I know some people would argue, no, if you're buying it, it should come finished or whatever. But that's part of it is the craftsmanship of the model beyond just buying it. Exactly. You get a little self-satisfaction knowing that you, you've, you've brought it to the current state that it is when it's on the table. And it looks exactly. good, and people are asking yeah. you, oh, did you do that? I'm like, yeah, I, I did. I appreciate it. <laughs> yep. Um, yep, I like to leave my Storm Eagle new in bag in my trunk during the hot summer months. That don't do that. I remember, I can uh, just get that warp goodness and just really get the satisfaction that I brought that back from the death. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. That's terrible. Oh, yeah. Um, Dave, uh, a hairdryer is also a good thing, or a heat yes. gun. I think a heat gun might be a little excessive. Uh, just starting just, out, Amazon has a uh, Amazon. Oh, I can't remember the brand. Has a nice, like, tiny heat gun that goes warmer than a hair dryer, so it goes a little bit faster if you need to warp something. But it's like holds in the palm of your hand, and it's yeah. really nice. Now, again, 
Um, the hairdryer is just nice to speed up paint time, I think, and then to uh, yes, correct warp or or I guess unwarp. But if you don't want to fork over the money, you just wait for your paint to dry like a normal person before we had electricity. That you know, and then uh, <laughs> you could just you use hot water to unwarp your resin. So there are always substitutes, and that's what I want to really get into on on this thing is finding substitutes for your standard sort of stuff, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, it, like I know a lot of products in America may not be available in the UK is, is what I'm getting at. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah, I think that's it. A little couple of extra ones that we'll get into again in the future would be a Dremel, um, brass yes. rod, magnets. Yeah, David, I think we're going to have to go deep into magnets and oh, like, yeah. pinning itself, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That, that when you when you cross into the Dremel the Dremel stage of things, then you're you're opening a whole new can of worms. It, it gets Absolutely. a lot more in depth, and uh, it, it's more satisfaction. You know, you get more satisfaction out of the kit whenever you can take it to the nines. Now, with this basic sickerin that we bought from Forge World, the thought is we're not using a Dremel. There's no fine resin powder anywhere, and we're using hot water, so there's no fumes or anything like that. So a respiration mask isn't, I don't think, necessarily required, but it's always a good idea. Well, it, to be fair, if you're going to start using the bone saw uh, and sawing anything like that, you don't want to breathe in particles of the resin at all. Um, probably no, will I've, be I've, fine, I've, but I'm yeah. not going to. I'm not going to sit there and say, "Hey, you'll be totally fine," because then that would just be blowing smoke up your ass and everyone else's ass in the same process. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a chemist. I am not a scientist or anything like that. I can't tell you if you're going to be fine. I do know that exactly. res, resin can be bad for people, though. So take all your precautions. Wear your PPE. And for $24, you can pick up a really nice 3M. Go ahead, Robbie. The, I think to the state of California, it's known to cause cancer. But it's only in the state of California that it causes cancer. Yeah, when I, uh, when I was living there, there were little things. Resin may cause cancer if you are living in California. Okay, well, good thing we're in Virginia, <laughs> so, so we actually did get cancer uh, from it. I did read up a little bit on that like a week and a half ago because I'm being the nerd I am. The reason they have those labels, one, because California is crazy anyway, but it's it's regardless of whatever amount that that stuff is in. Any type of carcinogen, regardless of how much dosage you get, they still have to put that label on there. So even though, let's say, I don't know, this plastic box here, known to cause uh, cancer in California. Yeah, if you manage to ingest, like, you know, a whole gallon of it, which I know we're talking about solids and liquids, but, yeah. Anyway. Anyway. I think digesting a gallon of liquid plastic would be bad. It would be, it would be terrible for you. And, yes, it would cause cancer even outside of California probably. You'd at least get a tummy ache. Yeah, at the very least. The more you get, you guys get into start working with Forge World, the twenty five dollar investment for a good three M mask is totally worth it. So just three M is that the uh, manufacturer or is that the uh, safety rating? That's the uh, that's the manufacturer. Okay. 
Do we know the exact uh, safety rating that is required for resin? I don't off the top of my head. I just got... I do not either. One that said so, it was good to work with fumes and that kind of stuff and particles. So the fumes, you have, a, you have organic vapor rated masks, which are good for like super glue and whatnot. Most, and obviously this is me, just don't want to blow up, smoke up anyone's ass either. When you're dealing with fine dust-like resin and whatnot, just about any respirator would do. Like probably better than a dust mask you'd want, but at that point, anything you buy would probably be sufficiently rated for it. So if you're having, but if you're having issues with fumes and whatnot, that's when you want an organic vapor rated mask. Like for myself, I'm, uh, I'm allergic to cyanacrylic fumes, which is basically super glue, and I have to have an organic vapor, or else I'm just going to have a nasty day when I wake up the next morning. Yeah. See what I the one I use is a, it's a 3M half face respirator. It is also a organic vapor mask. Uh, if you're looking for like a part number, you can do it's 3M uh, 5301. It's a half face respirator, large. Like I said, those things usually run around 25 bucks, 26 bucks on Amazon. Mm-hmm. They're they're, they're good. That, I've uh, used them for years. Number again? 3M? What was it? 3M, and then the, the part number is 5301. It's a half-face respirator. Gotcha. Okay. Oh, that's a nice one, man. I like those. Ah. Pads are pretty good. The mask itself is, what, $15, $25, and then replacement pads are uh, 14 Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's worth it for that extra bit of insurance. You know, you don't want to... You really don't want to ingest a lot of this stuff. You know, of course, we'll, we'll get into other stuff on down the road, but a lot of the painting, uh, some of the stuff you don't want to breathe, anything that's like alcohol-based, like the Tamiya's or stuff like that. Oh, God. Yeah. Or the uh, what are the lacquer-based ones. And, lacquer-based um, ones will do horrible things yeah. to your lungs. God damn. Yes. Yeah, we get yeah. stories of that. Fucking oh, first God. time trying out those <laughs> lacquer paints on cover. First time man. doing the lacquer paints is like a fog of of chemicals and I didn't realize how high I was until I was like, I put the paintbrush down and I put the, I cut the airbrush off and I like barely could stand up. I was like, Oh my gosh, let me read the back of this thing right now. It's like, Oh, this is highly toxic. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, yeah, all right. This is, that's the same type of shit as painting a car. When I used to paint cars, you know, we would, we would be in full suits with full respirators in a booth that is, insanely ventilated just for those reasons, because that stuff is terrible to breathe. It will okay, well, destroy your lungs. question, Dave. Did you start painting as cars, and you're like, this isn't challenging enough. I need tinier things to paint. <laughs> well, I, I've always been like a gearhead. I've always been into cars. Like, you know, all my, my father was a transmission mechanic for 30 years. You know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I guess I, I my, Title's a diesel tech now, so I still I work on diesel engines, diesel trucks, but I also do light uh, body repair and I do paint. I've painted a several trucks and several cars. Uh, and in my oh, teenage awesome. my teenage years, I used to do a lot of custom uh, like airbrushing and custom graphics and stuff like that on trucks and cars when I used to go to like shows and stuff like that. And I just kind of remembered okay, a lot no of that. Well, and I rolled it over you get a little it. backstory on Dave here. We get yeah. into the mind of Dave. Um, yeah, so that that's pretty good. I think I think those are all like some really good basic things. And I think yes. um, next episode we'll go over uh, 
building the actual models. What do you say, Dave? That's definitely, definitely. Right. That's where another thing, you know, you say a Dremel, you can also look at a, Tamiya has a little hand drill. It's a nice well, little do, drill. It's not, it's, yeah. Crazy little stuff like that they do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's not really high RPMs, uh, but it, it does the job. So it, it's, it's almost like a pin vise with your hand. It spins at about that speed. So you don't have to worry about, you know, slipping and ripping all the tendons out of your hand with the damn thing uh, like you do with a Dremel. You, those things, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. But that's, that is another good alternative that you guys might look at to pick up as well. It's a good investment. You get to build it when you buy it, too. So if you're in building things, there you go. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, do good you have stuff. anything else as far as tools that are uh, really First tools, getting oh, started. That is think, right. Cutting that's always handy so you don't cut up your, your hobby table. Uh, cutting mm -hmm. that is definitely worth its weight in gold, especially if you have to work on the wife's dinner table. Yeah, not going to be happy oh. uh, when she finds oh. these micro scratches <laughs> all oh. over mahogany wood. Uh, she'll castrate you right there in the living room or in the kitchen. <laughs> all right. Well, oh, yeah. I think that's it. So, uh, Jesse, back to you, man. Uh, I'm really all excited right. about this segment, and I think we're going to keep it going. The whole plot is going to be a uh, plastic betrayal of Kalth and a Sikorin, and we're going to get to the end of it and come up with all kinds of cool, crazy ideas and all that stuff. Sounds great. Love Good it. to me, man. All right. Well, thank you, Dave. Thank no you all for that. Got some cool info for you listeners out there. Thank you for having us, Jesse. No, you're welcome. Likewise. All right, man, coming up next, let's say we're going to have Austin and maybe Dave talk about uh, – and Ryan, I think. And Ryan, talk about some event chat. And what were you guys wanted to talk about regarding that? I believe it was multi-layered rules and whatnot for different events. Yeah, yeah, so pretty much how to have one table's events and stuff, how to make that tie in nicely with another event, with like another table going on next door or uh, like crossing genres like BFG game to heresy game or maybe like Zone Mortalis, that sort of stuff. Tying that all together. That sounds fun. We'll talk about it coming up next. All right, folks. We're back again with Ryan, Austin, and Dave, and they're going to talk events and event planning and multi-table interactions. Yeah, so uh, we've talked about other events, how to set up events, run them, all that kind of stuff in the past. And I, I thought it'd be a neat little segment um, to get some of the experiences of other event organizers or people who play other games um, to kind of, I guess, broaden the horizons of what a Horus Heresy event can be. Um, so you may be familiar with the event where you show up, you're playing 1,500 points, 2,500 points, three games, or whatever. And that's awesome. It lets you meet people in the community. Uh, you can do lots of narrative stuff with that. But as we were discussing a little bit earlier before we started the cast, sometimes, uh, you know, the missions that you're playing and those types of things, they can be a little stagnant or, you know, you end up playing the same missions out of this, uh, you know, the same six missions out of the red books and you might want to mix it up a little bit. So the concept here is that, you know, we have all these other uh, formats of playing Horus Heresy and why not create an event or an event series that ties those in, right? Through various game mechanics, um, such as using Zone Mortalis or Centurion mode 
in conjunction with a big blam type style event where there are titans on another board or using Battlefleet Heresy uh, on a different board and having all of these uh, games having an impact on the overall narrative or having an impact on the table next to you. Yeah, um, and we've, at least I've had some experience running and playing in some of these events, and they're probably the most fun that I've had. Um, I remember, actually, the first, like, mega event I was I was a part of, um, and this was, God, third or fourth edition, um, there was a big Imperial versus Tyranid mega battle going on, uh, and then on a separate table, there was what we would probably call Zomortalis, but they it was just like Space Hulk kind of corridors with Terminators trying to get through this Gene Stealers swarm. Uh, and any Terminators that got through then became like free reinforcements in the mega battle down below, uh, which was amazing. I yes. played the Terminators and they all died, so that didn't really help. But as a concept, it was awesome. Um, yeah, and then uh, Jesse and I went down to the Williamsburg muster this last muster uh, and had, I guess it's kind of like the beginner version of something like that. Cause all we had a bunch of different tables uh, and instead of everybody playing the same mission, each table had its own specific mission uh, and the winner or loser of that game would then affect, you know, who, who was on the next game. Like we had one, one table set up uh, with some planetary defense lasers and, you know, it was the attacker's job to blow them up or take them, and the defender's job to hold them. And then based on that, you know, hey, table four, you know, now chaos controls the orbitals, and they'll, they'll get their reinforcements in easier. Just little things like that to spice things up. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the way I look at this, there's a couple – got to break out a couple different things because um, – in the example that Austin just gave, you know, that we're still all playing a 2,500-point Age of Darkness game. It just happens to be that, you know, the center table has something that affects other tables around it, or whatever the case is. Um, when you start getting into alternate game systems interacting with each other, you have to take a couple things into consideration. And as the event organizer uh, or as the gaming group that's putting this thing on, I mean, the, the primary thing is always going to be the pace of the game. Um, you know, a BFG game versus a Zone Mortalis game versus, you know, uh, a Knight battle or a Titan battle all pace and take a certain amount of time to play, right? A ZM game you could play in 45 minutes or an hour, uh, whereas a 3,000-point Age of Darkness is going to take probably a couple hours in an event setting. So you have to figure out how your mechanisms are going to tie in uh, even though one game is going to be shorter uh, and one may be longer. Um, you also want to figure out, is this going to be a campaign series where, you know, on a given day, everybody's playing ZM, and then the impacts of that ZM on the next day lead to uh, benefits on a larger game the next day. Uh, that's more of a campaign, and we're not really talking about that. But that is one way to do it, where you have this progression um, where you may have a ZM battle followed by a, a Battlefleet Heresy battle um, followed by, you know, the actual invasion onto a planet where you, you play a larger 
uh, Age of Darkness game. The more challenging is when you have, you know, let's let's make it simple. Uh, you have a Zone Mortalis set of tables, two or three tables, where people can play smaller point games. You have the main event, which is going to be, say, uh, a standard 3,000-point Age of Darkness where everybody shows up and plays, say, a mega battle on a large Age of Darkness table. And then you might have Battle Fleet Heresy. So you have the the fleet actions. You have the Zone Mortalis, which are you know kind of narrative events happening in the fleet actions. But obviously how the fleet interacts could affect the main battle on the planet's surface, right? Yeah, uh, that's actually one, uh, and Jared's not here, so I don't want to like give the game away. Um, but the mega battle that we're running on, I think it's the nineteenth, uh, is going to be a BFG or Battlefleet Heresy engagement with uh, on a big space station sort of thing. So there'll be a forty or a, a Heresy mega battle going on where. Most of the guys are trying to fight their way and like take or defend uh, this big ass space station, while the Heresy fleets uh, are kind of dancing around trying to break the other fleet off. Um, and we got a bunch of really cool mechanics that are for it. Um, I think the most important thing is to do a little play testing. Like, if you run an event for Heresy, you know how long it takes everybody to go through, you know, a turn. You know how long a game takes. Um, if you're trying to throw in like super narrative Zo Mortalis or like a really cool battle for heresy scenario, like sit down with somebody or a couple of somebodies and play through. Like that sounds kind of intuitive, but I've, <laughs> I mean, I've run events where I haven't bothered to play through things and like they work out okay. Um, but like for this, Steven and I actually sat down one day and played through the BFG campaign saw the things that probably needed a little bit of tweaking to, you know, keep it, like, balanced and on pace. Um, important for whoever's running the event, don't tell everybody how it's supposed to connect together. Like, I mean, obviously you want to tell them, like, hey, if you do X, like, Y happens, but don't, like, lay out all the workings. Because, at least for me, um, playing a big mega battle like this is about like the story as much as it is which side wins or loses. And if you've got all the mechanics set up to be like very intricate and awesome and fantastic and you tell everybody and then turn two rolls around and suddenly like team A is getting the shit kicked out of them and you got no way to like bring that back around, that can kind of be a bummer. Um, Conversely, that's, that's one of the benefits of having, kind of multiple different things going on is that, you know, hey, 30k mega battle, loyalists are getting the shit kicked out of them. That's not going to go well. Uh, hey, BFG guys, like, if, if a loyalist could kind of up their game a little bit and get some help in, uh, you know, it just, it just makes things go a little bit smoother. And it's also more fun for the players, uh, because even though they may have led their own forces into ignominious defeat, obviously, it's all those idiots on the other tables that screwed them. Which is fun. Yeah, absolutely. You bring up some really good points there. Yeah. One side note I want to also mention as something to be aware of is dividing the player base. If we're doing all these things simultaneously, if you're a smaller community of only like five or six guys, 
maybe dividing your player base across three realms isn't so well as just say two. You know, you have the Zone Mortalis along with a, a twenty-eight, or I'm sorry, a uh, Mega Battle type of thing. Uh, just be aware of that. You know, get your players to register and know how many you have. I think before you start going in like the intricate details. I don't know, right? Because kind of yeah, like the other sure. way around. You want you want to let people know there's going to be an awesome event with this kind of stuff going on. You need to get your player count so you can see is it worth doing all this other stuff if I'm only going to have four people show up. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with that. You need to have a good understanding, first of all, if there's interest in doing this, because there's going to be people that rock up to an event who have their 2,500-point army, and they just want to play somebody else across the table. and They want to do that three times. They want to test their army, um, test their metal. They may not be so interested in the narrative that you're trying to put together or, hey, we've got these ZM tables over here for you to play in. They may not give a shit about that. Um, conversely, you may have a bunch of people that are really interested in that, and you definitely need to understand where your player base is and what they're interested in and to figure out if the juice is worth the squeeze because you are going to end up having to put uh, a lot of time and energy into building these mechanics, playtesting them, making sure they work. And if nobody's going to show up to play ZM when you have the boards available, then don't waste your time on it. Yeah, and also um, advertise. Like, make sure that that guy who, you know, all he wants to do is rock rock in with his, you know, Warhound and his Pride of the Legion list and, like, mega battle it out. Make sure he knows that, like, hey, we also got this other thing going on. Um, weird shit is going to happen. Narr- from a narrative perspective, and like you got to be willing to roll with that, because uh, I I imagine you know if, if you show up with your twenty five hundred point list and you're expecting this narrative event to be just you know I'm gonna play somebody and that'll be the game, and then suddenly like a board three three tables down from you does a thing and you just got like orbital striked all the hell like, you're not gonna have a good time, so like, be very upfront with what you're doing. Um, definitely pull the waters beforehand. Hey, do you guys want to like do a Zone Mortalis thing that ties into a mega battle? Most people, at least in our, in our community, are super excited. Like like this heresy uh, event we're doing in a couple of weeks. You guys have no real interest in BFG, um, but do think it's really really cool that like we're having this dual action sort of thing going on where they can affect, like where the tables affect each other. Yeah, absolutely. I think that aspect is is super cool. I don't know if that was a rhetorical question or not, but I'll give you the answer. Yeah, it is. We've talked yeah. about doing it for a long time, and this is the first time we've actually done it. I want to know what world people don't like Zone Mortalis. Cause <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who are those weirdos? I'm just saying. I've I have run an event before where Zone Mortalis. I had a ZM table set up, right? So I had seven standard Age of Darkness tables set up. I had one ZM table. And I had advertised, hey, this is how many tables we have. If we have enough players to cover all the tables, that means I need volunteers for ZM, followed by you're going to get voluntold to play ZM, otherwise you're not playing a game. And nobody really complained about it, but towards the end, it was kind of pulling teeth to be like, okay, I really need two people to play ZM. Um... And if I had known going into that event that most people are interested in playing their 2,500-point armies, then I probably would have shelved the ZM for that event and just let it let it roll, you know? 
So, so Ryan, without getting into like, you know, specific specifics, like how do you run a simultaneous event where like, uh, you know, stuff is going down on maybe like a super heavy table and you're, you're on a ZM table. Like what are, what are the specific, uh, things that are happening on that table that then translate onto the ZM table and like, what are, you know, what are the little, uh, I, I guess, what are the tweaks that you incorporate into your game? Yeah, so um, I'll be fairly generic in this because it's going to be up to the creativity of the event organizer, how they want to do it. Uh, figure out what your primary game is going to be. Uh, I'm going to use Nova last year as an example. So in the opening salvo of Nova last year, we had, uh, you know, various level games, which were the main event, uh, like 2,000 points, 2,500 points, I think maybe 1,850 those, most people were playing those. Um, but we had, I think, four or six Zone Mortalis tables. You did not have to play on them, uh, or you could decide to play on them. Those were the alternate game that you could play during the event, right? So you could, in theory, uh, go and play two games of Standard Age of Darkness and then play one game of Zone Mortalis if you felt like it. And in that case, I used um, the main game did not really have any effects on Zone Mortalis at all. The main games were happening. Uh, players were just rocking up, playing their missions. There were some special missions that I threw in there, but they didn't really have an effect on ZM. The ZM tables, I used those to build the mechanics that could affect uh, the other tables. And the way I did that, and there's, there's probably a dozen ways to skin this cat, and it's been done... Uh, by various EOs, and they've done it different ways, and I'm sure they're all cool and effective. The way I did it was that, uh, first of all, for something like this, uh, you're going to probably want you as the EO and then one or two helpers. Uh, if you don't have any helpers, then you definitely need to have a general uh, on each side. Somebody uh, that's going to be a loyalist general who's going to take all of the actions and dole, dole them out to their players and a trader general. And so what I did for this was that um, as players played their ZM, each ZM table had different effects. So I think one of them was like, if you took and held the central point on one ZM table, it was a shield generator and you could create void shields on other tables when a player did that in ZM at the end of their round, they would come to me as the EO and say, hey, I just held this for another turn. Uh, I just earned two void shields for my general. I'm okay, cool. So I take the little void shield card that explains the rules. Uh, I give it to the loyalist general in, a, in whatever case or the trader general. And I say, hey, man, you can put these on any tables that you want. Give them to your players and then follow the rules. Let me know if there's questions. Um, and so, and the other one I did, I did uh, Void Shields, I did Orbital Bombardments. Uh, there were three or four others, and in, in that particular event, I had a cumulative system. So if a player was able to hold, say, the Shield Generator for four or five turns, they went from create, you know, um, generating one Void Shield that can be used on one table to six or seven Void Shields that could be dispersed amongst the entire Loyalist faction by the General. Um, Dude, so that's, that's one really way cool. of doing it. 
you know what I really like about that too, Ryan, is that you chose the ZM table to generate the effects for the the larger Age of Darkness table, which makes sense because if you think about a ZM table, you're gonna you're you're probably gonna be going through turns faster, right? So so you're gonna be generating those effects more quickly. Whereas if you try to do it in the re- reverse, right, you you would have this like lag, right? You'd have like a time delay. You'd be getting through maybe one turn and you'd already be on turn two or three on the other table. And that's one of the things I think, you know, Austin and I and Jared and Steven have been talking about is like, you, you know, when you try to run events <clears throat> simultaneously, uh, do you start one first, right? So would we start the BFG game first to generate those effects and then have those effects in play so that we go when we go into the Age of Darkness game, you know, those effects are already generated. And, and, and I think that having those cards, I mean, that's genius, man, right? So, like, you, you have, like, almost like a deck of cards with those, um, you know, specific effects you can play and then handing them off to the loyalists and trader side. I think that's a, that's a very elegant and efficient way to, to get after that simultaneous event, man. Um, that, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I think, so, uh, oh. I'll add it a little bit because uh, I actually played uh, Ryan's of, and what he did, what made it really interesting and really efficient is uh, it was an ongoing game. Like the the other opening salvo had like the around you would start a game and finish it, then you would start a new game with someone else on a different table. Well, the zone mortalis was you uh, as long as you had guys on the table. Uh, you were still playing until you you were taken off the table and you'd have like two different players on it. And it was like a constant, you beat one player off, a new player would be like, all right, I'm dropping in now. I got my ZM. And you're already weak because you just fought some other person and now you're getting pushed off the table. Then your partner's getting reinforced by a fresh guy. And that was a a very good way to get, uh, you know, a lot of people to play the ZM. It was encouraging because it was like, you know, going in and getting that objective that helped everybody out. You know, I, I know I was sitting there and, you know, that's where I found out the white scars, you know, skilled rider plasma was really cool. Really good anti-custode if I remember yeah. Robbie. <laughs> so for folks that don't know about opening salvo, opening salvo is a pretty loose format at Nova, right? Ryan, like you can literally show up at any point during that opening day and roll in with your with your force, which is almost like unheard of in events. Yeah, I mean, so if, as long as you have a, a ticket, uh, which you can buy a ticket the day of, or if you showed up at like noon, even though we kick off at ten, if you showed up at noon, saw people playing the game, and you wanted to play, go buy a ticket, and then yeah, uh, opening salvo. The reason I think it worked really well there is because it was so freeform. Um, players could play as many or as few games as they wanted, and there were no set time limits. So I didn't put, I didn't say, "Hey, you have two hours to play a twenty-five hundred point game." I said, "Every two hours, I'm going to give you a narrative update of what's happening." Um, you could play one game, or you could play five games. You could stop and have lunch with your opponent. You could go grab some beers. You could come back. Um, so that worked out really well, and then. What I found with the ZM in opening salvo was initially there was a little bit of interest in playing ZM. Um, there were a handful of people that wanted it. Uh, and then when I started handing out the cards, 
and saying, okay, General, you just got three Void Shields, or you just got three Orbital Bombardments. Um, I found that the Generals are starting to tell their people to go play the ZM. As soon as you're done, take a piss break, get some water, but we need guys in that ZM board right now, because my <laughs> Custodes just got nuked by some Trader White Scars by an asshole named Rob, <laughs> we need to keep that bombardment going. Yeah. Yep. And it was super fun because I'd, I'd get decimated, and then the next guy would come in, and maybe if we got lucky, we'd have two guys come in versus just Robbie. And then Robbie's like, guys, I need help. Send somebody over here quick, you know? Keeping it, like, revolving like that to where there there was no, like, turn count or anything like that. It was just you go, I go, you go, I go until this whole thing is done and nobody wants to play anymore. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's you guys kept it going for probably four or five hours. Um, yeah. I mean, but it was yeah, a ten-hour event, right? I didn't expect to, people to play ZM yeah. ten hours straight, but like that one table was going for like five or six hours, which was pretty cool to to watch. The cap off was nine orbital bombardments you can hold at one time. Robbie just happens to know that. I had to actually because I got asked how many of these can I have, and I was like, "Fuck, I." didn't plan for somebody to get this many. <laughs> so I you know, made it made a decision on the fly. Um, so that's one way of doing it. Uh, I like the... the <clears throat> well, okay, so this kind of goes into, you know, are you going to do this real-time or are you going to have queued effects? And what I say by queued effects is once you figure out what your secondary table is, so in, in the case of opening salvo, it was the ZM, um, we queued the effects that you earned as a player at the end of every uh, game turn, right? So then that would that would generate the cards that, that I would then give to the generals, right? That works pretty well. If you're trying to do it real time, it gets I think it would get dicey um, because the people playing the main games would probably get annoyed, you know, if Robbie got a, a orbital bombardment. Now I've got to call the general over. Be like, hey, you got one orbital bombardment because he just finished his player turn. Once you do that five or six times, and keep in mind the general is also playing a game. Right. So I came to the point where one thing I learned was it's better as the EO to go around and hand those out. And I was doing that, especially you know games that were complete mismatches or whatever. I was heavily weighting um, the effects to people that kind of needed them in their games. Because the general, to be honest, that, that's one thing I learned, was if the general is trying to play their game, they probably have very little to no situational awareness about what's going on in the rest of the event. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, I had to do my, my one game with uh, Mark, and then I just had to stop and just keep going around at tables and keep you know, uh, looking at what everybody else was doing to make sure we were allocating resources properly, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, figuring out how you want to actually deliver the mechanics is going to be key. Um, and then I think, and this is going to come down to the meta, but you also have to determine how big of an effect do you want to have on the main game. Right. Um, you know, a ZM uh, boarding action effect will almost certainly affect uh, a BFG fight in some way, right? Whether you're taking the bridge of a ship, like a, a, a capital ship or whatever, but a small ZM boarding action probably has very little impact on the planet's surface. So if you're playing, you know, with a three-tiered system, you want to figure out what has more effect, right? And then obviously a battlefleet heresy 
event, something happening there where, you know, um, a capital ship breaks through or something, that may have a massive effect on the game on the ground, right? If they're able to launch a, a normal bombardment um, or some lance strikes, that could have a, a major effect. So you got to figure out how you want your mechanics to interact with each other, and you don't want to overbalance or underbalance uh, another game that's going on. Yeah, and uh, that's, like you said, especially for heresy, or for, for Battlefleet heresy. Because like you said, with Zomortalis, everything's like, you expect the results to be smaller, right? It's taking that void shield generator, or like taking the bridge of a ship. When it comes to balancing, like, BFG and 40k, 30k games, um, and one, like, tiny-ass frigate uh, is essentially, you know, throwing titan-killing level turbo lasers around as joke weapons. Uh, it can get very unbalanced very quickly. Um, but it, it, you just gotta, you gotta time it right. So, like, for, for our event, we're running here in a couple of weeks. Actually, not to give games away. So another one I did um, was a mega battle on the ground. I think it was just like Imperials vs. Chaos. Uh, and then there's a mission in the BFG book called Planetary Assault, where one fleet is actually trying to like deploy troops on the planet, uh, which is perfect, right? Um, so we just had it up like, hey, if you're, if you're the defending fleet and you got guys in low orbit at the start of any given you know, mega battle turn, your side gets planetary bombardments. Easy peasy. And then, you know, if that starts to get a little unbalanced, maybe you nudge over to the to the gothic players and be like, hey man, like, I know that ship sitting in low orbit is a waste for you in this game, so go ahead and pull it up. Like, pull it up, go do work. Um, meanwhile, as they were actually getting, like, ships to the surface, same thing, just Count up how many ships you've gotten. Uh, hey, 40k came, like your, your side's about to go. You've got these six units you can deep strike in. Because, um, yeah, like, like we've been saying before, you don't want to have it, hey, one turn of this is equal to one turn of this, because somebody's going to wind up sitting around being bored, and uh, that's not what it's about. Yeah, I learned that the hard way uh, the first event I ever hosted. We had uh, a big mega battle up top. And then there was a center point that was an elevator that led down into a zone mortalis. And the zone mortalis is where the main objective was. So everybody on top in the mega battle was going after this one elevator shaft and trying to get down into the zone mortalis. And uh, it was great for the guys up top, but the guys in the ZM that had gotten down there uh, were a lot of times just waiting for us to finish turns and, you know, kind of felt bad for um, those guys, you know. So you right. know, these are mistakes that people have made, and that's why we're giving you this kind of advice because we've made these mistakes before. So I really like the cute effects. I think that's a really elegant way to handle this kind of like ambitious, you know, simultaneous, um, you know, game systems going on in an event. So I, I, I kind of want to hear from Ryan and the other guys. Uh, what are some of the other effects that you think translate well between game systems? So, like, we heard Void Shield Generator. Um, I, the, the, the reason I want to talk about this is because I think it gets a little wonky when you start, like, handing out reinforcements, right? Because, like, people might not have those on the side of the board, right? You might not just be able to bring in 1,500 points of, like, tacticals. So 
What are the effects, Ryan, that you think are easy to manage? You can pass out, you know, make a card and then, and then kind of distribute in game. Uh, well, you're going to put me on, um, well, I got, so I don't know. It depends on what you want to manage easily, I guess. I, I use Void Shield and Orbital Bombardment because most players understand it, uh, have used it before in some capacity, and it's relatively easy to implement. You know, an Orbital Bombardment, okay, we're going to drop, I'm going to roll Scatter once. We're going to figure out if I hit anybody, take some wounds, whatever. It doesn't have a long-lasting effect on the game. Um, same with the Void Shield. Some other things that I've done in the past is I, I agree that you don't necessarily want to, uh, you know, bring in reinforcements necessarily. I mean, that's certainly an idea you can play play with. Uh, potentially, if you had a bunch of generic Legion Marines as the EO, so you had a Loyalist Legion and a Traitor Legion, and you had just generic units that did not have special rules that everybody understood, you know, tacticals and support squads and terminators yeah, potentially using those as reinforcements is not a bad idea you want to probably stay away from legion specific stuff um, just because you don't want to give somebody a bunch of death shroud terminators and they have no fucking idea how to use them or what their rules are and now you're potentially slowing their game down but if you gave them 10 tactical marines and just walk on the board and our WYSIWYG um, you know that's something that someone could could work with. Or uh, actually, yeah, you... we've done uh, militia. I'm sorry to cut you off, Dave, but we we did a uh, 20 man squad of uh, riflemen with a uh, Lehman Russ, and that was like a contingent force that uh, would come on. Yeah, and and actually, Will, now that I'm thinking about this, I mean, you could if you had that as the EO on standby, right? So if you had just a, like a little pool of of reinforcements that you could provide, uh, you could put that stat line and those special rules on a card. And just hand it out, and like anybody can, you know, it's like a it's like a unit entry, right? Like anybody can look at the card and go, okay, got my stats, got my special rules, let's roll, man. Yeah, that's certainly a way to do it. Um, yeah. You know, and that would be actually be very cool. I haven't really considered doing that. Um, one thing I did at opening salvo was, and will probably happen again, was there were some special units that came in that happened to be mine. And in those cases, that was just at the discretion of the EO, where I saw, like, maybe there was a dude that had to face off against 2,500 points of custodes, and he was getting his shit pushed in. There may have been a Primarch that showed up with some dudes to help sway that battle. Spoiler alert, it didn't matter. Um, <laughs> so, but that's really cool, having, like, a big old name character to kind of deus ex machina you out of a situation is super cool. I like that for sure. Yeah, um, and that's something you can play around. It, you know, an EO does have a lot of flexibility, especially in a larger event. There's a lot going on. The players, and to be honest, don't always know everything that's going on. So that's one of the key things. If you're going to try to do something like this, read the read the room, read what's happening, be flexible and willing to make adjustments on the fly because one of your mechanics that you thought you play-tested may have sounded great at the time, but if it's unbalancing multiple games or fucking up people's day, you want to be able to adjust that so that it doesn't have as great an impact. Um, and you need to be able to do that on the fly. But Dave, going back to your original question, um, 
you know, you could do things like uh, creating Medicaid facilities. So when what I do with the Void Shield and what I've done with other uh, effects in the past, it's going to be terrain based, just to keep it simple, because you don't want to drop in. If you happen to have a bunch of markers or a bunch of ready-made tokens, you can certainly do that. Um, the guys from Graying Legion do that. They have turrets that have, you know, the card for the turret is zip-tied to the turret, so they'll come by and drop it on the table, and then you have the rules right there, and you read the rules and you play it that way. Um, you can certainly do that. Um, otherwise, you can use terrain that's on the table. As the EO or as a general, you would walk up and say, hey, the centerpiece of terrain, or, you know, if you're the defenders and us defender, the defender general, hey, your piece of terrain right here has uh, a Medicaid facility, an ammunition dump. So I'm, I'm giving you a feel no pain if you're in that terrain, or I'm giving you the chance to re-roll ones if you're in that terrain, or maybe I'm affecting um, your reserve rolls. That's another potential thing okay. where for a turn you get to add or subtract one to your first reserve roll of the game or of the turn. You know, Stuff like that are all things you can play around with. Um, and there's plenty, if you start going through all the source books, you know, from 40K and 30K and all that kind of stuff, you're going to find a ton of different things you can do. Yeah, uh, like the, uh, what is it, the mysterious uh, buildings from Istvan uh, 3 book, you know, where it's like... Yeah, uh, from book one. Yeah, that those are amazing to use. And, you know, if people don't have it, just like, like we've said, write it on a card and be like, hey, guys, you found a bunker that was uh, had some extra Marines in it or something, you know? Like, there's already precedent for a lot of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's about picking and choosing what you think is going to fit your narrative and mostly what's going to be easy to put on the board without disrupting a game too much. Um, that's the big thing. You don't want to disrupt the flow too much, uh, but it's usually pretty quick. If you stop by a table, you explain to both the players, hey, something's about to happen. You have a one or two sentence uh, blurb with all the rules, and then it's usually pretty easy. Most people just shrug and say cool and roll on with it <laughs> right yeah no I'm, I'm just thinking um you could mess with like uh you could mess with stats like leadership right you could have you could say like you know the comms are out or uh you could mess with line of sight um potentially right so but you, you don't want to tweak things too hard and uh i mean i i just i, I love the idea of having a deck of cards that you can pull from hand to the general uh, loyalist and trader general and have those cute effects, man. I think that's just super, um, super elegant and a really, really smooth way to do it, especially when you're trying to run uh, events that are different simultaneously. Um, that's a really cool idea, man. I'm, I'm going to try that out. Yeah. So uh, at Adepticon during the uh, devil's narrative, the Gameza, uh there was like a, they had, all their tables like the first round you had fought for these objectives and before you even got assigned to a table uh, they had like a little description of what the table was about and who played better to the objectives and like the generals were able to put like hey man what kind of army do you play oh you're gonna do great at this table let's put you here and then after the the game that first round um, each table you won gave a buff to your entire you know your entire team like the whole faction you know stuff like you're getting hatred for something or one unit gains outflank or you know preferred enemy um for like objectives so it was really cool to uh play really hard 
because you knew that it was going to affect your whole your whole faction during the second game. Robbie I was, really I really like games like missions and events where they have stuff like that where the generals like or somebody tells the generals like hey these are the boards we have these are the missions like go pick an army that works for that like because you know you get like an imperial fist like breacher army running around in a jungle and like yeah that's cool that's fine but if somebody's like hey you're like imperial fist breacher army we got this friggin like city fight that we need cleared out uh, you're going against Death Guard because that's their version of you. Like, go to that. Like, from a narrative perspective, it's just so cool. Oh yeah, that's essentially what the whole the whole basis of it was. And uh, the other cool part was um, the table, you know, affected each other. But it wasn't like you're playing a game and then all of a sudden there's these new rules and you're like, oh okay, well that kind of changes the way, you know, the first table. You know, you got those buffs, those debuffs. You knew it before you even rolled dice for your second game. And that was really cool. It's because, like, hey, I know what I'm getting into. It's not like we're halfway playing and all of a sudden there's, you know, bombardments on, you know, my my key objective holder. That would really, of like, change the entire dynamic of the game if I knew that was going to be a thing. But yep. that's what I enjoyed. Very cool. Yeah, I think that's a big difference for, like, an event where it's a mega battle sort of thing with a couple of offshoots and a game where it's a bunch of like one V one fights. If you're having it a bunch of one V ones, like at the, like, I think it's just easier as a, as an EO to run it. Like, Hey, missions are over now. Here's all the cool stuff that's happening next game. Um, rather than drop in, I mean, dropping in is awesome. And I freaking loved it at Nova. Um, but if it's your first event, maybe not. Very cool. Well, is there any uh, closing thoughts to this? If not, we'll uh, go ahead and wrap this up. I would just say if you're you're looking at doing something like this, um, you know, you have to be on your game as far as preparation. You can't just pull this out of your ass. So you're going to have to figure out what mechanics work, have a chat with everybody that you play with, figure out what games they like to play, figure out what mechanics you think are going to work. And then on the day, uh, just be flexible. Things may not work out like you thought they were going to. Um, it's more important that everybody has fun than that everybody sticks to whatever arbitrary timeline you thought was going to work when you started. So it's okay to pull back a little bit on some of the effects that you're trying to do if you realize that it's slowing down the game or people aren't having fun with it. Yeah, just keep it keep it simple, like your first event. It's like with, with RVA 30K, our first Mega Battles, very simple. It got everyone excited. And I think if we tried to do some of the more elaborate stuff that we do now as our first events, you know, maybe we screw it up and it makes people less excited to come back next. Yeah. Yeah. I think a big thing to do is don't be offended by the criticism and the opinions post event. Like your first event may not go that great. But you got to learn from it, streamline your ideas, better incorporate it for your later events. Yep. All right. Very good information. Austin, Ryan, Dave, appreciate the input. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. And uh, we're going to wrap up with some, uh, some plugs, and we'll call it a night. Take a quick break. Be right back.
guys, we're back for some final words and plugs. Austin, you got anything you want to plug? Nah, I think I'm good. Go to Nova if you haven't gone to Nova yet. It is a very fun time. Highly recommend it. Dave from Black Label Painting, is there anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll throw out some shameless plugs here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, if you if you need help with the, with a commission, man, just get just hit me up at Black Label Painting on Facebook. Uh, also, I do a Patreon. Uh, it's Black Label Painting at Patreon. Uh, you know, I, I I don't try to rate people. You know, it's only a buck, a uh, a dollar per content upload. I usually do about four months. So check me out and maybe learn some uh, tips and tricks, man. I really appreciate it. Cool stuff. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, guys. Now, regular thirty K, Dave. Regular 30K Dave. That's awesome. Ouch. Um, <laughs> I wasn't. It's like. Wasn't mean as an insult. Uh, was... You got regular size Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome, man. I'll, no, I'll take it. Uh, yeah, so I reached out to the guys from Ranger Up. Um, they are a. Uh, they do t shirts and they do some other, like. Facebook, social media, um, but they're a, they're a, a veterans uh, run. Um, I don't know, man. They do cool shit, and they made uh, – they're a bunch of gamers, which I didn't know before this, um, but they made a T-shirt of uh, General Mattis, the Secretary of Defense, in uh, a Space Marine armor with uh, – got to check it out. It's, yes. it's fucking awesome. It is awesome. It is so awesome, and there there are so many little uh, like kind of hidden Easter eggs in there um, if you're if you're into that kind of thing. But um, I talked to those guys; they're uh, they're super nerds, and they said uh, sometime when they're not just playing D and D and drinking, they'd love to come on. So maybe we'll have them on. Cool. Holy shit, man! Yeah, that would be <laughs> dope. I fucking love those guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have several of their shirts. Uh, what is it? One of them is a penguin with a top hat and a monocle, and he's riding a unicycle, and it says, I'm good at war on it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's probably my favorite shirt I own. I love it. Awesome. Yeah, so if you guys are uh, listening, man, love to have you on anytime. <laughs> All right. Very cool. Robbie? Uh, I don't have any plugs, uh, but I do want to give a shout-out. Uh, to our Heresy grad school professor uh, to congratulate Jason and his new wife on their union and how much uh, we care about them and we hope for and wish the best for their future. Indeed. We love you guys. I think we all can reflect that. So, definitely. Ryan, how about yourself? Um, a couple plugs, I guess. Uh, Conversion World for Bits. They have a bunch of axes uh, swords, all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, th- not a lot right now, but the the stuff I've gotten in the mail is really high quality. Nice. Yeah, I've, I've seen some of that stuff firsthand. It's a German company, if I remember right. And uh, that's right. Yep, they've got some really good stuff. It's just if you Google conversion world, it'll come up. But I mean, that's good quality stuff, and they have uh, you know, very applicable to 30k. It'll fit into a lot of different armies. So if you're trying to convert up a Praetor or something. It's cool. Um, I also like that you can order individual bits. It's about a buck, 1.5 euro per bit, which is, I guess, a little pricey, but um, they're cool. Uh, Shapeways, uh, Pop Goes the Monkey, 
cool bits that I just got from them. Um, a couple anonymous donors, one from Maryland and one from Virginia, who came through big for the uh, Sons of Horus Toys for Tots. Uh, so shout out to them if they're listening. They should know who they are. And then also the podcast, Remember's Retreat, uh, donated two sets of the Blood and Skulls Industry Wraparound Kits for the Mars oh, Pattern Land Raiders. Uh, and I really appreciate that because that's going to give that army a little bit more bling. Definitely. Has, yeah. Good stuff. Do you have a list up? Can we get the list of items that you still need? And we'll post that yeah, up with I'll, this episode. I'll have it posted up. Really, uh, what I still need, I need a Leviathan uh, with the Cyclonic Melt-A-Lance and the Siege Drill. Uh, I need two Javelins, preferably with Laze Cannons, but I'll take the Missile Launchers. Beggars can't be choosers. Uh, Best-case scenario, two Anvilus Drop Pods and a Dreadnought Drop Pod. And that would be everything for the Army. I'll play it by ear. You know, depending on how donations go, RFI put a shout-out as well. So we'll see what I get. I might adjust the list a little bit. But right now I have a sizable enough army. I could probably do a 1,500-point army with what I have now. Which hey, is so that, that Dreadnought good. Drop Pod, is it, um, is it okay if it's 3D printed? Because uh, I mean, it's kind of hard to get one of those right now, isn't it? It is kind of hard to get one. Uh, I don't know. I have to think on that. The uh, Anvilus is the Dreadclaw, right? That's right. Yes. yes. Okay. So that's it for me. I've talked enough. All right. Cool. Will, how about yourself? Uh, Lancaster painting um, and uh, quitting Horse Heresy and getting into uh, Age of Sigmar. <laughs> Boo. Boo. <laughs> uh, straight up. God, you could at least play Kings of War. Yeah. Savage. Um, we're doing uh, some more uh, Shattered Legion stuff. So check that out. I got to post up the Raven Guard I did. Um, and then uh, I want to plug Castellax. We started talking about that before we <laughs> recording, and I think Castellax are great models. If you don't have a Castellax in your army, you need at least one. At least one. They're Five. super cool. They, they are the epitome of Mechanicum in Horus Heresy. Yeah, for well, all those people that thought Castellax were garbage, Will is here to plug it. Yeah, and let I know, you know Castellax are really underplayed and they're like really underutilized. So I'm just letting you, you know. Thought Castellax were garbage. Yeah. Mm. Or am I just not reading sarcasm? No, you're right not now. getting sarcasm, okay. Jason. Okay. I know okay. you're still new to Earth, so you know, this is all <laughs> still new to you. But sarcasm is something humans do, and it's it's kind of fun sometimes. I gotcha. Okay. Castellax <laughs> look like. They're smiling. They have those two little eyeballs on their armpits, and then that little servo skull looks like a mouth. So it looks like a tiny little fish smiling at you. How could you not love them? As it just tears you apart. I played. I played this game for like a year before I realized that the skull was right there in its belly button. Yeah, yeah, that's a weak spot in a video game. But uh, yeah, so that's it, guys. Uh, thank you for the listeners. You know, we love you guys. Um, the last episode. We were able to reach out to a lot of you, and uh, we love feedback from you guys. Still haven't had an email from any of you, so get on that. I just need one email. Well, I'll take that back. Jake sent us an email. We need another email. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, send us more emails. rva30k at gmail.com. Again, that's rva30k at gmail.com. Let us if know we- what you think and give us a topic. We may talk about it. Yeah, for sure. If we get enough feedback, we will definitely do a mailbag. 
or call in or whatever you guys want because we're doing this as a fun hobby thing, but you know, we'd also love input and we'd love to see what we can do with what you guys give us. So please send us some feedback, send us some mail. We'd love to hear from you. We just, we're so lonely. Please talk to us, somebody. <laughs> just drifting out in the void. But with that being said, again, thank you all to all the listeners here. And thank you for everyone here on the podcast tonight. Black Label Dave, thank you very much. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Love to have you back soon. And with that, here at the retreat, I'm Jesse and Austin, Black Label Dave, our regular 30K Dave. We That's going to stick now. Craig's in here tonight. Craig is recording. Yes. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Craig. <laughs> Ryan, Robbie, and Will. And with that, everyone have a good night. See you again next week. Okay. Peace. Peace.